I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn open to 1 Corinthians 2. And the reason why we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 2 is because of the problems that many people encounter in Romans chapter 7. Now you might say, how does that go together? Stick with me and, and when we get to the end, we'll deal with that. I know it's been three weeks, so let me just give you a quick refresher of what we were looking at before we had a time of sabbatical. There are two categories that everyone has to deal with. It's either a category of law or it's a category of grace. And so when you deal with the category of law, what you find in this category, I kind of wish I had some clear tubes and we could just drop some, I don't know, something in there that's got these names on there. Sin. Sin falls in the category of law. Why? Because it's held accountable. Because if the law tells us anything, it tells us what is right and what is wrong, and therefore it amplifies, it points out sin. But what follows that quickly would be death. Death falls in the category of law. Why? Because that's what sin deserves. There's nowhere else for sin to go but down. Now, the problem that many people come up with is, oh, well, if sin happens in relation to the law, and if death is the inevitable result, law bad, grace good, is how we get about our theology about things. And what we're going to enter into next week is the idea that, no, the law isn't bad. The law is not sin. It's actually perfect because it's telling you what's wrong. You can't fault that. If you would have stopped at the stop sign, you wouldn't have got hit by that oncoming car. I hate that stop sign. Is that how we treat that? Probably, but we shouldn't. What you actually find is it's not the stop sign's fault and it's not the stop sign was bad. The stop sign was trying to tell you the truth about a situation. Now, the great thing about it is, is we have another category. There's a lot of hopelessness here. Not because the law's bad, but because we're bad. Thank God for grace. Thank God that in grace, we find such things as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We find a brand new identity in Christ. We find a brand new standing. We find that we automatically have peace with God. We find that all struggles and strivings with him have been laid to rest in the cross. We find that the cross has torn down any sort of barriers that we would want to put up in this life and has unified people in Jesus Christ. And not only that, grace happens all the time. Grace is always available, always ready to come forth, always ready to be the solution to the situation that we have. It is the newness of life. Now, here's a grand problem that people make, is the idea of, well, if we've got sin and death here in this category, and we've got the newness of life and the indwelling of Holy Spirit and eternal salvation and all these incredible things here in grace, it must be that the law is dealing with lost people and grace is only dealing with saved people. And I would say that if that's the case, we've taken our categorizations a step too far. And the reason is, is because a believer in Christ can be entertaining sin in their life and it can lead to death. And they find themselves trying to meet requirements of the law because they're reverting back to the old life before they do Christ. We find those old ruts, those old roads are very comfortable to drive down because we're very familiar with them. What you find is a believer can be on one side or the other. And here's the, here's the grand, I don't know, the big reveal about it. Is the whole idea is it comes down to the choice that you want to make. This is a place of belief. This is a place of unbelief. And many Christians can survive in unbelief. Now, we've had a doctrine that has been, been promoted greatly in the past 50 years especially, but has its origins in Puritan writings, and especially in what's known as Calvinism, that is called Lordship Salvation. And this teaching is, unless you're fully and 100% sold out to God at the moment of conversion, you're not truly saved. Now that's a scary thing, because now the litmus test of eternal life becomes on my performance and how I'm doing. And I don't know about you, but I don't always do that great. Anybody ever dealt with sleep, dep sleep deprivation? Okay, you don't always do that great. Praise God for grace. Praise God for grace that meets me when I fall so, so short. 
So with all of that, one thing that I want to do is I want to grab a passage of Scripture and I want to dispel this notion that Christians cannot be carnal. I think it's important for us to recognize that carnal Christianity is very much a biblical thing, not an ideal thing, not God's desire for us whatsoever. He desires the best because he's provided all in order for us to live in the best. But so often we settle for much less than what we have. Now I'm going to tell you this. If I step on your toes today, praise God. I don't mean to. I don't like necessarily offending anybody. But there comes a point in life where we've got to recognize I'm either going to believe and appropriate everything that God has done for me, or I'm really going to be content trying to hold hands with him and trying to hold hands with the world and keep telling myself that everything is okay. It's not. So let's get into this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We are actually going to start, where are we going to start, Mitch? Bring it up. Verse 12. I want to pull it all the way back. You know what? Let's do that. Forgive me, Mitch. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read. And just let me give you a, a, a running start into this whole situation. Paul is talking about how the message of the gospel has been considered foolishness by people who don't understand it. We're talking about godly, spiritual things. And when people don't have the spirit and they don't care to live godly, they don't care anything about what you have to say. They don't understand it. They think it's crazy. They label it foolishness. So let's get that running start and we walk in here. Chapter two, verse one. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or with wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you want to know what the message is to lost people or brand new baby believers, it is Christ crucified. That is the message that everyone needs to start with. The fact that Jesus Christ has been crucified for your sins. And not only that, but when you speak about the crucifixion, you start branching into these Romans 6 truths. You have been crucified with Christ. You have died with him. You have died to sin and you've been raised to a new life just as he has been raised to a new life. Believer, I wish somebody would have told me that. I wish somebody would have shared that with me. I could imagine I would have been able to look at the sin struggle and relied on Jesus Christ a lot more as my life instead of having to do better and try harder. You're right. I got this Willie Nelson CD. Can I keep it? I don't know. Like conflicted in the spirit about it. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. We get all kinds of little things that want to trip up our walk with the Lord that we struggle with, that we internally wrestle with about whether or not it's of the Spirit. And what I find is amazing, and this was my problem. If I just would have read God's Word and believed it, that wouldn't have been a problem. That's the solution. So it says here, verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? Verse five, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. There's a sermon in itself, but on the power of God. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. In other words, those who already have the foundation solidly laid of Christ and him crucified. There is wisdom for the spiritual growth and development that is on top of that. In other words, for maturing believers. Wisdom, if you want to know what wisdom is, the deep things of God. Okay, And the deep things of God are not these crazy deep theological truths that people have been struggling with for hundreds of years. A deep thing of God is like loving your neighbor as yourself. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. There's some deep things of God. Loving one another as Christ has loved us. We can know everything under the sun and get 12 PhDs, but if I can't love my brother in Christ, who cares? Who cares about any of that? The Spirit is grieved in my life in that situation. So yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. In other words, it's not temporal and it has nothing to do with the world or this system. But look what it says. But we speak whose wisdom? God's wisdom and a mystery. 
and something that is not previously known, but has been made manifest now. The hidden wisdom, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom, which none of the rulers of this age has understood. In other words, your common people here don't grasp it because they don't have the spirit of God. Now watch this. The rulers of this age didn't understood. Pay attention to what Paul says, because it'll blow your mind if you meditate on it. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they would have understood, if Pilate would have understood exactly who Jesus is, he would have done everything in his power to keep the crucifixion from happening. Think about that. If they would have been privy to this knowledge that we share amongst mature believers, the revelation that we share amongst believers in Christ, it would have stopped people in their tracks from violating the body of the Lord Jesus. So it says here, verse 9, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, believers, God revealed them through the what? Through the Spirit. Pay attention to that. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Why? Because it's His Spirit, yes? It's God's Spirit. So notice it says here, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Do I know the thoughts of Zach? No, his Spirit does. Why? It's His Spirit. His spirit searches out every nook and cranny of his life. My spirit searches out every area that I might want to keep hidden. It knows everything and I can't hide from my spirit. It knows everything. Now watch this. It says here, even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. So it would only follow if you want to know the thoughts of God, you've got to have the spirit of God to know the things of God. Yes, everybody got that? Okay, good. So we see the argument he's making. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Do you realize that you already have everything freely given to you by God? Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. You ever struggled with the feeling of inadequacy? Guess where that stemmed from? Unbelief. Why? Because God has said he's already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Therefore, what do you lack in the Lord's eyes? Nothing. Everybody see how that works? The question is, is am I operating in unbelief? Well, that's going to lead to sin and death because I'm in the category of law. Or am I going to recognize grace that has freely given me everything and requires nothing of me to obtain it and say, hallelujah, I have no reason to be discouraged. Because I am what I am, everything that I am in Christ. Now, why didn't you say amen? Too late. So notice the things freely given to us. He's given us the spirit so we can actually know all of these things. Real quick, if you want to know what that's called, it's called illumination. The spirit of God illumines for us the things of God. Now look at verse 13, which things we also speak. Now notice what Paul's saying here. He speaks divine things from the Spirit. That shouldn't surprise us. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. It says here, which we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, forget all that, not carnal things, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. That's messed a lot of people up. Don't let it. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit has inspired him to write things. And when he writes it, it starts with a thought and it manifests itself in words. And we are looking at it right now, exactly what God wanted us to know. So we're talking about the verbal inspiration of of, of the scriptures. Now, here's where we step into this. And before we do, I I want want you to look over to your papers because we have a little lengthy quote here by Lewis Sperry Chafer. By the way, his book, He That Is Spiritual, if you've never read that, Get it and at least read chapter one. You read chapter one, you'll want to continue. It's really great. It says here, men are classified according to their ability to understand and receive the deep things of God. Into these deep things of God, no unaided man can go. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? 
Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God knows them. An unaided man may enter freely into the things of his fellow man because of the spirit of a man which is in him. He cannot extend his sphere. That's as far as he can go. He cannot, he's, he's locked in the law category. He can't go any further, okay? He cannot know experimentally the things of the animal, or sorry, yeah, he cannot know the things experimentally of the animal world below him. And certainly he cannot enter a higher sphere and know experimentally the things of God. Anybody want to guess what the higher sphere is called? I'll give you a hint. Say it. Grace. The higher sphere is grace. Don't be shy. Maybe Dave Field and Dave Rousseau didn't let you talk. You can talk to me. It's okay. I like it. Notice it says here, even though man of himself cannot know the things of God, the spirit knows them. And a man may be so related to the spirit that he too may know them. How do you get knowledge about God? There's one channel, and that's the work of the spirit. Why do you think it indwells us? Why do you think the Holy Spirit indwells us? He actually indwells our spirits. Why is that? Because God constantly pleads, know me, know me, know me. And he's given you the navigation system, and he has given you the map so that it's possible. Now, this is fantastic stuff. And we step into category number one. Here it is, verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Let's break this down. You look over at your paper here. This is the base non-Christian. Or maybe we want to say the abased. Maybe it's the abased non-Christian. But everybody see this word natural here. It's the Greek word sukikos. And what it is, and this is not my definition, it's from, it's from probably the most heavily touted Greek lexicon, of the soul life. This is why I call it the soulical man. Now, if you remember, Mitch, real quick, if you wouldn't mind, bring up our, our crazy little graphic that Emily put together here. Here's the idea of the soulical man. If you notice, man exists in three parts. Spirit in the middle, it's not on the back. You've got a different one on the back. Spirit in the middle, human spirit. You've got the soul is the middle ring that consists of mind, will, and emotions. And the outer ring is your body, which manifests the things that come out of this middle. The problem that we have is that our human spirit is where we make contact with God consciousness. And if you don't have the spirit, what contact with God do you have in your spirit? None. You have none. This is what made it so tragic when Adam and Eve sinned. They never recognized they were naked before, but something happened and their eyes were open. Everybody remember that? Their spirit became void. See, that's what happened here. This is what took place with a person who doesn't know Christ. So this is what it is. And it happens that the old master stretches to all three realms. We actually find that the central system that controls how people act ends up being the soul, the life. So notice it says, of the soul life in our literature pertaining to the life of the natural world and whatever belongs to it. In contrast to the realm of experience whose central characteristics is pneuma or the spirit. In other words, because there is a vacancy in the human spirit and only the old man lives there, Anybody like living with the old man? I saw some of you look at your husbands. That's not what we're talking about. Okay? But living with the old man, devoid of any contact with God, there's nothing holy or righteous about that situation within us. And so where do we fall back on in order to make decisions and get things done and how we should perceive and discern situations? We fall back on our life, our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. If it feels good, do it. How many times have we heard that? Well, you should go this direction because everybody else is going this direction. Who's the idiot that came up with that phrase? I'll tell you who it is. Someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit residing in their spirit. That's where that comes from because it's carnal, worldly thinking. And it's the best that lost people can do. They're doing the best they can with what they've got from the position they put themselves in. 
So notice it says here, it's natural, it's unspiritual, it's worldly. This is the one who is concerned with and guided by those areas that make up the soul, the mind, will, and emotions. The soulical man is unregenerate. What does that mean? He does not have life. That's what that means. To be regenerate is to have life by the Holy Spirit. To be unregenerate means that the Holy Spirit has not taken dwelling in there, and therefore they are lost. It says here, being dead in trespasses and sins without the Holy Spirit, having not believed in Jesus Christ and having no claim on eternal life. Therefore, he is able to discern spiritual things. He is unable to discern spiritual things, deeming them as foolish. If you want to know why lost people act the way that they do, number one, don't judge them for acting lost. That's all they can do. Number two, recognize where they fall in Scripture. What do people who don't have life do? They do dead things because that's all they can do. Temporal things, temporal joy, temporal satisfaction, temporal solutions. That's the way the world acts because it's all about how they feel. It's all about the lust of what they ultimately want. So they let their will take control. And when they try to reason it out in their minds and they don't have an almighty God who created all things as the base beginning of how they should think, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We remember this one from Proverbs 1.7. When that's not there, man, they're doing the best they can. They're doing the best that they can. So don't frown down upon them and everything. Pray about how to go about reaching them so that they can have life. Everybody got that? Now look at verse 14. The natural man, the solical man, does not accept, does not seize upon, he does not welcome them. The things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand. This is our word that we dealt with a few weeks ago, gnosko. He cannot experience them. He cannot get a greater understanding because he is in lock with them and seeing it manifested in life. It doesn't happen for them. Completely closed off. So notice what it says at that. Does not understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually appraised. Everybody see that word appraised? You've got, if you've got the New American Standard with a little uh, marking next to it, I've got a little number two next to it. You look over there and you see the word examined. It's pr- it, it could be understand discerned, evaluated, uh, engaged with careful study. Probably the best understanding I've found of this is judgment how to make sober, honest judgments about things. So notice if you read it that way, then because they are spiritually judged, spiritual things have to be spiritually judged, appraised, or understood. But because they're devoid of the Spirit, they can't do it. Now stop for a second. Think about the lost people that you have in your circle of of, of friends and people. Doesn't that just make your heart go out to them? Isn't there like pity that comes up and think, good grief, man. Remember this, we were all there once. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're there now. Your problem is not that you need to just get your act together or that you need a better retirement man as soon as you meet with your financial planner. If that's the extent of where your mind goes with things, you're missing an entire realm called grace. And the only way that you get in that realm of grace is you've got to have life. You may think you have life, but you don't. The only way that you get in that life is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives you life as a free gift. That's the way that happens. This is what makes the preaching of the gospel, the telling of the gospel to people so important. Now we deal with the second category. This moves us from the lost, the unregenerate, to the regenerate. And this is the spiritual. Look at verses 15 and 16. But he who is spiritual appraises, there's that word again, all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who's known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, that is a powerful two verses. I encourage you for the next five days, Monday through Friday, spend time on that verse, those two verses. Meditate on that because what it is, is it's telling you truth about you. It's telling you about privileges and blessings that you have, not because of anything you've done, but because Jesus just freely gives it to you and the Spirit makes it a reality. Good stuff, good stuff. Let's break it down. If you look over at your, at your paper here, this is the submissive believer. Or something that came to me this morning, I thought maybe a better way to describe it that you might gravitate towards better, the victorious Christian. It's the victorious Christian. Now, I've touted this a few weeks ago. I'm going to tout it again. In fact, I was able to talk Chief Manthe into checking it out from our library. A lady named Ruth Paxson wrote a book, 
in the 20s or 30s, I can't remember what it is, called Life on the Highest Plane. It is one of the best books I've ever read in my life. I've only found one thing that I disagree with in it so far, and that's the fact that he says that people waste time in, in dancing in movies. So that's a little legalistic for my taste. So I, you just cross that out and keep moving on. Everything else she says is pretty good, right? Go to the movies. It ain't going to kill you. Dance. It'd probably do you good. So, but this is the idea of the victorious Christian. She says in that book, Jesus has not supplied you with victories. He has supplied you with victory. Not victories. It's not every little situation that comes my way in my Christian life. Oh, God, give me the victory in this. Stop. Didn't God already supply the victory in Jesus Christ? Oh my gosh, our thinking just got changed. God, you've already given the victory in this situation. So please help me to get past my, I want to say dumbness, because that's how I look at myself. Help me get past my, so instead I will choose what you want for me, because that's how I feel about myself. That's where I'm at my dumb decisions, instead of doing what I want to do in my mind, will, and emotions. Let me get past that and recognize you've given the victory. Grab that and move forward. So, here it is. Spiritual. Pneumatikos, pertaining to spirit as inner life and of, hu- of a human being. One who has received God's spirit and presumably lives in accordance with this relationship. This is one who is living their lives out from the Spirit. In other words, the soul is not the hub of decision-making. No, it goes deeper in the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit now has the Holy Spirit. It says here, the method of appropriation is never about doing more and trying harder, but by knowing God's Word and believing God's Word, regardless of the circumstances. It is a quality life in the Spirit, rather than a quantity life without Him. The spiritual man is a believer in Christ whose power comes from the Holy Spirit and never the individual strength or efforts. They are truly spirit-led, enjoying peace, the spirit's power and discernment. The spiritual man looks Godward, wishing for others to see Christ in them, manifesting the ninefold fruit, not fruits, fruit of the spirit. It's only one fruit. It's got nine folds to it. This is the spiritual life. Now look at your passage here. But he who is spiritual appraises or judges or discerns all things. In other words, the one who is walking lockstep with the Spirit is able to look at everything that comes their direction and properly judge it for what it is. I tell you what, take your finger, put it here. Mitch, I didn't have this back there, forgive me. Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 14. It's one of my favorite passages because it tends to be incredibly relevant at some point in the life of the church. But just put your finger here. We're just going to read this one verse. Chapter 5, Hebrews 5. Turn to the right, right, right. Hebrews 5. If you hit maps, you went too far. Look at verse 14. It says, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Does everybody see the weight in that in that verse. The one who is spirit-led is the one who is able to look at anything in life and has been trained through practice of God's word. Whatever comes about, they can discern it. Good, evil, bad. Should I participate in it? Should I abstain from it? Should I do away with it? It's down. They've got it. They've locked it in because they're following only where the spirit leads. That would be an example that I can think of in the the Bible of a spiritual uh, Christian, the spiritual man. Move back to 15. Uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 2.15. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Think of it as judged. Someone who is spiritual, walking in the Spirit, is only doing things that are pleasing for God, and what you find is any accusations just won't stick. Everybody remember Jesus on trial? They had to dig people out of the woodwork to try to accuse him of something and found out that they had conflicting testimonies. You couldn't pin anything on Jesus. You couldn't peg it on him. Why? He's a spiritual man. He walked in step with the Spirit. He didn't want to do anything of himself, but only that which pleases the Father. Everything that he manifested in his works were works of the Spirit. You see it over and over in the Gospels. 
Notice if you move on to 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Now notice that. That's a realm that we don't even think we'd have access to, do we? Let me tell you that you do. Why is that? Look what he says after that. But we, notice Paul includes himself regardless. And remember this, he's writing to the Corinthians. Everybody remember that fun church, the Corinthians? He's writing to them. Look what he says to them. But we have the mind of Christ. The indwelling spirit makes the things of God understandable. The solical man could never understand it. Guess what? You can understand the deep things of God. Not because of who you are, but because of who Christ has made you. Everybody see that? It's all grace. Grace, 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 grace. Know me. How am I going to do that? Grace, grace, grace. Right? Be holy as I am holy. (laughs) How am I going to do that? Grace, grace, grace. Everybody see how that works? You don't get away from grace. And when you do get away from grace, you suffer. There's enough suffering for living godly in Christ Jesus. We don't need to heap more on ourselves because we're trying to be law keepers. We don't need to mess with that. Moving on. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. He says, and I, brethren, stop. Are they saved or unsaved? Notice that Paul never questions the salvation of the Corinthian believers. Well, I think some of you are saved, but not all of you. Well, that one guy's crazy. He never does that. They're all saved. And I, brethren, could not speak to you. Now, remember, he's talking about speaking the things of the Spirit of God. Everybody remember that? That's why we did that big, long, let's get the context going before we get into here. I could not speak to you as a spirit, as, spiritual, as to spiritual men, but as to men of what? Flesh. That's called carnal. Flesh. Carnality is the idea. I couldn't speak to you as those who are mature in Christ. Instead, I had to speak to you in a different way. As men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, as to those who are immature in the faith. Does everybody see that there is a difference between the solical man being lost, the spiritual man being walking lockstep with the spirit, and now you've got this third category that's come in that is redeemed, calls them brethren, but says, I couldn't approach you in this way to speak this wisdom into your life because you're babies. In Christ. Everybody see that they're in Christ? Yes, but something is lacking. Now here's a question. What are the qualities that make up the idea of being lacking? Before we tackle that, look over at your sheet. Carnal, sarkinos, pertaining to behavior which is typical of human nature, but with special focus on more base physical desires. In other words, worldly or base, pertaining to being material or belonging to the physical realm. This is one who is most concerned with doing, with the end goal being that of personal interest and benefit. In other words, they're so busy working for the Lord because they want to get noticed out of it. It's not really spiritual work. They're either working to be accepted or they're working so that others will praise them and accept them in that situation. Their motivation is found in self. Now, trivia question, especially with you having the handy dandy little graphic down there at the bottom for you to see. What realm do you think that the carnal Christian is operating out of? The soul. Not bothering to to touch base with the things that are part of God consciousness, having the indwelling Holy Spirit in their spirit. Nope. Instead, we're we're going to be saved and have the indwelling Holy Spirit, but we're going to operate by our mind, will, and emotions because that just seems like the logical thing to do. Do not trust in the flesh. It profits Nothing. There's no part of it that's good at all. Well, I really like this part about myself. Well, stop it. You are wrong. Crucify that thing and move on to the spirit. Get rid of it. Stop trying to redeem it. God's not interested in redeeming your flesh. Why are we? Don't. You've moved on. You've died and been buried. And you've been raised to a newness of life. Let me give you... This is going to hurt. Let me give you a good example of how this is. Number one, put your finger here. Number two, turn back to Hebrews. We're just taking a great trip. I think I realized that I prepared two weeks of sermon. You're not going to get them all today. That is a response that is rooted in in the soul. It is a carnal fleshly response. 
And I want you to look at Hebrews 12. Now think about this. Especially if you are a particularly sensitive and self-conscious person, you're going to think that I'm attacking you. I'm not. I just want to bring something to the surface, and hopefully when you look at it and listen to everything I have to say about this, you will see that you can actually handle life in a much different way than what you choose to. Well, this is my issues, and here's where I'm at in life, and here's what I'm dealing with, and here's how these people treated me, and this is how I'm feeling about things. And this is the way that I perceive it. And I don't understand why they responded that way to me. This sounds like typical life that we deal with week in and week out, does it not? Do you realize that a lot of times, moving from the carnal to the spiritual is not about doing things, it's a lot about stop doing things. Instead of all these things about where we're at and how we feel, check out Hebrews chapter 12, And look at verse 2. Look what it says. Fixing our eyes on... Stop! Don't even go any further in the verse. It's a great verse, but don't go any further. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Well, this is where I'm at, and this is what I'm dealing with, and this is the way it made me feel, and this is what my shrink said. This is what Oprah told me to do. Does everybody see how that perspective traps you in the mind, will, and emotions? That's what it's all about. My mind, my will, and my emotions. And if everything is using that as a base of which to spring out of, then if it's not checked with the indwelling spirit of God, it's all going to be sin. Does everybody see that? Well, we just need to encourage that person. You need to encourage them to look to Jesus. They don't need encouragement in anything else. And you can even sit there. One of the great mistakes we make, you shouldn't feel that way. Don't tell somebody that. You can look at them and say, I know why you feel that way. You feel that way because you are the center of your universe. Put Jesus on the throne. It's got his name on it. He's supposed to be sitting there. But I just don't feel like making that type of commitment. Anybody notice we live in a world of committophobes? People aren't getting married until they're 35 and 40 years old. I just don't know if we want to settle down. We're shacking up with one another, and that sin is all get out. Well, we just don't want to commit. I don't know any more committing than joining yourself with one flesh with somebody. And you have no business doing that if you're not willing to pledge your life to that person. Somebody told you wrong. It's all operation out of the soul. It's all about what the mind, will, and emotions want, but when it comes to combining bank accounts, I don't know. Getting grave plots next to one, or get, sorry, getting cremated together, I don't know. I don't know what y'all do. Everybody see how messed up that is? In our lives, we've gotten the focus off of Jesus and we wondered why we're discouraged and depressed and down and we don't feel like there's any power of God in our lives. We read these things in the scripture. We think, good grief, that's so foreign. I just wish that was true of me. And that's a sincere desire in our hearts. Our hearts cry out for the power of God to be radiating through us so that we could be of some sort of amazing value to God. Number one, you're already valuable to God. You're just not believing it. Number two, Jesus is your focus, not you. You want to graduate out of the carnal Christian into the spiritual Christian, start looking to Christ. Stop looking to yourself. It's a very simple solution to a situation like this. Now, am I coming down on you? Maybe. But if the Spirit is convicting your heart about it, that's not me. But these are truths that go far too neglected, and we wonder why. Segway. I can't tell you how many times for three and a half years I've heard well we're just this little church in this little town that's all we are we're just this little church don't raise your hand but ask yourself this question do you really believe that Grace Bible Church is just this little church in this little town in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin and we kind of use that as an excuse to maybe do things halfway 
We use that as an excuse to not give our best. We use that as an excuse to forsake quality. Everybody recognize that we're the church of God. Everybody recognize that we're sons and daughters of the Most High. Everybody recognize that the Almighty Savior and conqueror of all things is my brother. Everybody get that? Everybody recognize that in nothing good of ourselves, God took the deposit of himself in the Holy Spirit and put it in you and said, this is a guarantee that there are greater things to come. But you will receive power. Acts 1.8, do we believe that? A lot of times we feel powerless. You know why? We're operating out of the soul. We're not recognizing the truth of spirit. We can't live as spiritual people because we're so obsessed with self. This is why we're told in Colossians chapter 3, set your eyes on things above, not on things below. Paul knows what you get on things below. There's a theological word for that. It's called, that's what it's called. (laughs) Nothing. Nothing good ever came out of it. Nothing. Let me ask you a question. If your vision is consumed with Christ, then what do you have? Oh, good gravy. Ain't barbecue sweeter on earth than something like that. That's fantastic. Especially knowing I had nothing to do with it. It's just what God wants to freely give. Grace, 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 grace. Everybody see that? Gosh, it's, it's sweet. It's sweet. Look back here, 1 Corinthians 3. I do have two sermons. Praise God. 3.1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. And if you're dealing with brand new converted believers, that's where you want to start them out. You want to start them out on the milk of the word. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. <laughs> Laverne, you, the milk of the word, not the milk of your cows, okay? Calm down, Laverne. I looked over there, I said, milk of the word. Laverne's like, you tooting a horn on a train? What is that? Okay, moving on. Wow. Um, Verse two, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. Does Paul sound happy? No, why? Because from the time that he initially gave them the milk of the word to this time, they should have graduated into being able to eat solid food and they hadn't. And Paul is upset. You have everything you need to grow in Christ and you have forsaken it because you've lived in the realm of mind, will, and emotions. You have not looked above where things of the spirit are. Look what it says, verse three, four. Here's your causal conjunction. You are still... Flesh, say it, church. Fleshly. Now, what does that look like? For since there is jealousy, mark the words, jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Since you have jealousy and strife in your ranks, aren't you just acting like worldly people in a different place? Isn't this how the world handles problems? They get jealous and they create strife. Jealousy, having resentment of another's achievements or good fortune. Looking at somebody else and being envious and jealous about the good things that are happening in their life. Why isn't that happening to me? Don't they know I'm a much better person than they are? Good grief. God should know how good I am. I, 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 so everybody see that carnal, but not just jealousy. What's the other part? Strife. Good definition. Rivalry and taking positions which bring discord. Do you recognize that we don't have to take any position on any other issue because we all have the same common position? We are all in Christ. All the rest of it doesn't matter. But I have a personal conviction about getting this point across. Don't. Stop. That's about you tooting your own horn. That's not about what God would have for us in his word. It has no relevance and it becomes idle chatter and it leads us astray from keeping our minds on things above. But not only that, look what he says. Are you not fleshly if you have those qualities? Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says I'm of Paul and another says I'm of Apollos, are you not mere men? 
When one says, I'm of Joe, and another says, I'm of Donald, are you not just mere men? When another says, I'm of this denomination, and I'm of that denomination, because that's really what this is, that's what's crazy. You got denominations in the same church. Can you imagine if we were all divided up in denominations in this church? Weird. Weird. Why are we not looking to Christ? You act like the world when you seek to divide yourself and get pet projects. Some of you are getting a little restless about this. That's good. If you don't have a tolerance for this, what realm are you operating in? Think about it. Think about it. This is a serious subject, guys. We will never do worthy work in the church if it's not spiritually done. It'll be our flesh. It'll be us running the gamut, trying our best, doing our hardest, getting burnt out and forsaking God because it didn't work out for us. It didn't work out for us because there was no power to draw from. It is the electrical cord plugged into itself. There's no power. There's no power. So when we find that we can recount a lot more about the vice presidential debates than we can about what Dave Field preached on last week, ask yourself the question, do I have a priority problem? When we can recall that, oh, I I can't, my grandmother, God love her, I can't miss my shows, her soaps, can't miss my shows, can't miss my shows. You guys go play, I gotta watch my shows. If you're all up on your shows, but you're having a hard time memorizing the little verse that we gave for the next two months. We got a priority problem. If you're complaining about how long I preach, <laughs> stop. I'm not laughing. Am I telling you anything that's not from the Bible? That's a question you have to answer. And yet we can sit out in the water in a fishing boat for eight hours and not complain one bit. We've got a priority problem. And let's be honest, we like it the way that we like it. And that's just how horrible the flesh is. And it is killing the church. So how do you deal with it? You crucify it. You're already crucified in Christ. You kill the flesh. And you recognize it's not going to profit you anything. Well, I just don't have a desire to listen to the word for that length of period of time. Okay, so pray about it. God will give it to you. I haven't met one person that cried out to God that God didn't change their heart for his glory. Not one person. Cry out to him. Let me finish with this. It dawned on me yesterday when I got ready to feed my son that he's a ninja. And the reason is, is because, ah, 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 What kind of sounds are coming out of these kids? I don't know. But he's hungry. And he wants something to eat, right? Get the bottle prepared, ready to go. You're talking to him all nice. Buddy, here comes some milk. Gonna get you some milky, right? You talk like that to him. Here comes the bottle. He can see it. I don't know if you've noticed. If you've seen pictures, my kid's got the biggest eyes in the world. (laughs) Right? He does that all the time. Here comes the bottle for him, right? And all of a sudden, his training for Mr. Miyagi in the womb comes out of nowhere. He starts doing, wax on, wax off, paint paint the house, paint the fence. I mean, I'm trying to give you this food. You want this food. Stop putting your hands in your face. Stop pushing it away. Stop doing like this. And then, and then, see, I think this is serious. You guys are laughing. That's serious. And then in order to satisfy the deepest desire that he longs for, that is being freely provided for him, he does this. And puts his hands in his mouth and sucks on his fingers like it's the most satisfying thing in the world. Until it dawns on him, I'm not getting anything out of this. And finally, Finally, he gives up and he receives the milk. Guys, that's a Christian life. The problems I'm going through and the deepest satisfactions I need, well, 
Here's the solution. It's found in the pure milk of the Word of God. Everything we can to keep it away from our face. I know, I've got a solution. We put our hands in our mouth and we clamp down on the flesh like it's going to be the greatest thing that's ever made until we recognize that the flesh doesn't satisfy. There's no answers there. There's no nutrients there. No growth will come from it. What is the key? Give up. Give up. That's the key. That doesn't sound very hopeful. It's super hopeful. Because once we get out of the way, now God can work. Now God can feed. Now God can minister. Let me ask you this question. Where are you at today? Which one of these three categories do you fit in? Are you solical? You're recognizing right now, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm lost. The destination for those that are lost is death, yes, but much worse than that, the lake of fire. That's the only place that dead people can go. There's no suitable habitation for them in heaven. Where are you at in that? Maybe you're looking at today and saying, I fall in the spiritual category. I I promise you this, if you appraise that, you don't do it proudly. You're able to look at that humbly and make that assessment. Because rejoicing will come out of your heart. You'll start thanking God for what he's done in your life because of the relationship, the fellowship that you have with him. Maybe you're here today and you're carnal and you're recognizing that you hold hands with the world and you hold hands with the Savior and you're trying to make it work. And that's your own worst enemy. Where are you at today? Important point to pray about. If you want to talk about it, I'm available afterwards. So please, come find me. I'll be up here. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word who stands as the standard of truth and is able to delineate these things perfectly for us to see. Convict our hearts of sin, righteousness, and judgment by your spirit, as your word says. He will. We would honestly judge ourselves, appraise ourselves before you. If we've been trusting in the soul, the mind, will, and emotions, bring that to light because we need to repent. We need to be thinking differently. We need to stop looking at I and start looking to Christ. Father, we look for your convicting work today to change us because your desire for us is to be conformed to the image of your Son. Thank you, God, for having high and lofty purposes for us. I pray, God, that our heart would be as yours. Pray in Jesus' name.